and thanks for joining us again today. While Carrie and I technically kicked off the first episode of Marketing Gets Real last week, we considered this our first real episode because it really gets to the heart of what we want this podcast to be, real conversations with real marketers. So I'm super excited today to introduce our very first guest. This amazing marketer might literally be one of my very first customers many moons ago, Stacy Gardner. She's currently the Senior Director of Marketing Programs from Bottomline Technologies. She's been in the high-tech revenue space for nearly 20 years. Deep down, she considers herself a demand generation practitioner with a love for data-proven pipeline impact and velocity. Don't we wish we are all that? <laughs> she now leads a team of incredibly talented revenue marketers specializing in both demand gen and account-based marketing. So please join us in hearing some real-world marketing failures today, but more importantly, the growth that comes from them that shapes us all into the marketers we are today. So thank you all for joining us today. We're super excited to be here. Stacy. why don't we just start out by telling us a little bit about how you got here in your marketing career and start there. Sure. Um, you know, it was crazy when we talked about doing this podcast that I wrote that I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm not supposed to be the old one in the group yet. I'm still <laughs> supposed to be the younger generation. I you think know you're I, young and hip, Stacey, so you're good. <laughs> I like to think that I am. Um, I'll say, you know, my career started when I was a marketing and sales gal, because 20 years ago, that's what you were. You were the marketing and sales, right? And we started with trade shows. And I joke that my first software purchase for marketing was the business card scanner software, where you scanned cards <laughs> yes. and then, right? Like that was big news back then. And, you know, kind of progressed to a company where we're using constant contact and we had a, a qualification engine and we were big news then and was part of an acquisition and joined this amazing global team, met my current CMO, Christine Nurnberger, who's just an amazing leader and have gone on a journey with her. Uh, have been at Bottom Line for seven years now, and we're on the profit side of a marketing team now, which was our goal when we started out to be profit center, and we're there, and it's really exciting. And it's been a crazy journey just watching technology and watching the teams grow and the data behind all of this. It's a really exciting time to be in marketing, I'd say. Great. Love that. I would give you a pro tip because I think I'm a few years ahead of you, Stacey. And <laughs> once you get to 20, then it's just 20 plus, right? So yeah, it's never right. 25 right. or 30, it's just 20 right. plus. We leave it there. You know, is it 20 right. plus 5, 10, whatever? It doesn't matter. So it's like our like that age. We tip. need to keep it in a yeah. range, right? Don't be specific. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, obviously, as you mentioned, a lot has changed in the last 20 years. I mean, it's it's funny because I'll be telling younger members on our team about my first webinar experience, and it was a product called Placeware, which I think Microsoft bought it. I mean, this is back in the 90s. And the technology was so unstable that we would just hold our breath and fingers <laughs> crossed that nothing would break as we were as we were rolling through the program. But that was even before we had emails. So we were doing direct mail to invite people to webinars. So yeah, it's kind of mind-blowing. Like you sent out what, crazy. postcards or letters? Postcards at, with BRCs, with BRCs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 20 plus years, that's what you get, right, Stacey? That's right. I remember yeah. making postcards. I remember making a postcard in my very first job, and I was going to send out 
a postcard because I worked for a helicopter repair. They repaired composite parts of helicopters, which how I got there doesn't matter. But the coolest part <laughs> is we could do before and after pictures, right? So they've been crushed by a log in the in Canada. So they would send us these giant panels and we had these amazing before and after pictures. So I mocked up this card and I took it to my boss and I was all excited. And she was like, yeah, we can't do that because we don't have we don't have the rights to repair those parts. We're kind of doing it off to the sides. <laughs> I need you to not promote that. I'm like, all right. So we're going to keep that one on the down low and not go that direction. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So if we want to go back to some of the things that we had talked about before we started recording, you hit the point about revenue marketing and that you consider yourself a revenue marketer. And, and you know, that resonates with us because as an agency, we talk a lot about revenue as being the benchmark and success of the programs that we work with clients on. So, so what does revenue marketing mean to you? Who is a revenue marketer? What are the traits and characteristics that you see both in yourself and people on your team that kind of qualify for that? You know, it's a really interesting question because I think revenue marketing, much like account-based marketing, has its own definition wherever you go, right? When we think about revenue marketing, we think about it being scalable, predictable, part of a forecasting model, and that's where we are pointing the needle, right? We need to be partner with the business in knowing exactly where the bookings are coming from, where our programs are pointed from, and measuring ROI. At the same time, there's a lot of companies that are still in this traditional and demand gen engine where they're making the transition to being a profit center and they feel very much like a revenue marketer, which you don't want to discredit them because it's a big change or a change agent there and there's momentum and great things to happen. I think from our perspective, it's the repeatable, it's the predictable in being a part of the forecasting mechanism, but also the data behind all of that. I think a true revenue marketer has a love affair with data, right? Because it doesn't lie. It shows us amazing insights and analytics. It enables us to optimize and move and be agile, but with purpose. So I think for our team here, especially at Bottom Line, we are all heavily rooted in monthly reporting and consistent monthly reporting. And we don't go rogue with the views, right? We're all very much in partnership with what we're showing to the business too, so as to not cause confusion in what the outcomes really are. Do you think, Stacey, that that's required some major silo breakdowns within the organization among sales and marketing? Because, you know, it's interesting today. I mean, we talk about 20 years of experience in marketing, yet some of the challenges we all had way back then still exist today in most organizations, right? We see sales and marketing not working together. But in order to be a revenue marketer and to accomplish what you're talking about, I would think that you guys really have to be working together to make that work. Absolutely. And I think that's um, an interesting transformation when we talk about revenue marketing going from traditional in lead gen to true revenue is that you have to lean in on the pipeline, which is a little bit awkward for a lot of people. And, and I would say it's been awkward for us too, but a great learning experience in that it's no longer the top of the funnel. We have passed you an MQL that fits a certain SLA, go make it work, right? Which is, I think has been part of the headbutt traditionally. We've met your SLA criteria for an MQL, 
now take it to close, right? So we're both making these giant assumptions that I think is what creates the tension. But when marketing has the opportunity to partner and to lean in with sales, which is, okay, you have in-pipeline opportunities. How can we help you progress those? What are the kind of communications that would help you in your seat and the sales? And I would say, it was a really interesting learning just a few months ago here for me, especially as we had contributed, gosh, it was like we were upwards of like 60% of pipeline for a small segment in our line of business, but we weren't hitting our bookings targets. So it's like, holy cow, how are we here? Right. And what we learned is that there were some misses in the product. There were some misses in in our SLA criteria, like there were kind of misses all around. And once we all sat down and said, okay, guys, hands up, we have a problem. Let's talk through this. We made those realizations. And and I think those conversations are really uncomfortable, but when you do lean in, you uncover a lot of it. Yeah, right, for sure. And it spreads the count accountability across everyone and the finger pointing can be minimized that way if, if there's the collaboration that you're talking about. Where does customer success fit in when you're talking about a revenue marketer? I mean, clearly they're an important part of the the revenue team. That's an interesting partnership as well. And I think marketing has a very unique opportunity to support them from a messaging perspective and from like contact white spacing, right? Like our customer success team, they have such deep rooted relationships with key stakeholders within their company, but how can we help them broaden that relationship easily through marketing campaigns and data acquisition and new engagements and engaging our tele-demand gen to start making those relationships on behalf of our customer success so that they can broaden that. And that's been an interesting pivot for us in marketing is that we've traditionally been mass marketing, new logo, all of that goodness that we love. So let's go ahead and move on to, we'll talk about some of the stories. So Stacy, we've all seen some crazy shit, right? In our 20 plus years of marketing. So you've outlined a couple, you know, I would call them fun, jaw dropping in they? some cases. <laughs> <laughs> Fun's the right word. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's talk about your when the shit hit the fan moments. And we talked briefly about this, but I think you have a specific example of a marketing and sales partnership with a promotion strategy gone awry. Like my stomach hurt when I read that and it was like, oh boy. But this is what we learned from, right? We learned from our mistakes. So, so let's hear a little bit about that. So unfortunately, it actually wasn't a marketing and sales partnership promotion. It was a promotion that marketing was featuring to a very small subset of prospects, right? So it was a new logo acquisition strategy. So sales wasn't def- wasn't all the way in the know yet, right? We s- pressed send and I was actually on a flight back to Tulsa when it happened. I get off my plane and my phone has completely blown up because we have issued said price promotion to our entire database of 2.3 million people. Okay. Not only that, it had typos. It had grammatical errors. I want to say the pricing wasn't even right. Like, right. Like the email was not approved. It was a disaster. So sales... (laughs) Obviously, we had to get leadership involved, and then we had because our customers are on it. It's a price discount right. for what our customers are receiving. So it's like, holy crap, we are in big trouble now. We're like, cool. Uh, I mean, I'm paying too much, obviously. Well, and at this point, we're getting like 
blacklist. Like it's it's a whole thing because Marketo's like freaking out because we have completely spammed. Oh my goodness. So I I think the most concerning part of it all was when I got off the plane, Christine, our CMO, was was calling and texting me saying, hey, this went out. We need to course correct here. But the gal that had actually pressed send on my team had sidestepped many of our rules that we never break, which is one in Marketo, what is the spool? What is the spool count? And you share it with two team members, right? That's like a standing rule because had we checked the spool count, I think we all know 2.3 million people is not the right count. We had not approved the email, had not gone through leadership's approval on the draft too, right? So we had dodged those. But I think the, the biggest disappointment and the biggest learning was she tried to hide it, right? Like, oh gosh. And I think young in our careers, we do have those holy shit, what am I going to do moments, right? And you just got to own it. You just got to own up to it and say, how am I part of the solution? What do we do here? But that was probably six months into our tenure here at Bottom Line. So it was one of our, <laughs> it was like, hey, we're all at Bottom Line, creating a revenue marketing engine here, and we just spammed the universe. So that's where we were. I think that's so true, though, Stacey, right? I mean, that's what I tell my kids, too. Just, you know, if you F up, just admit it. Like, we can't improve without making mistakes. And I, it's interesting, too, to, I mean, this day and age. I mean, you see emails. I got an email from a B2C company yesterday with hello, and then a bunch of characters in the subject line. And then same with, like, they obviously did not approve their test before they sent it out, right? And there was no email afterwards saying, sorry, we shouldn't have sent that. They just tried to forget it, I think. I know. And you know what's crazy is, and Dana, I think you actually helped us with this program in a past life, which was a get us out of the doghouse program, because (laughs) we had to do an oops, right? Like, Oops, you messed up. We'd like to be out of the doghouse. And it's funny because those campaigns traditionally have the highest KPIs. I mean, people love to see oops moments, right? They just do. But when it's actually done cleverly and with some class, it's not always a bad thing. So I think too, when you do completely screw up, like maybe there's a small opportunity there to save face and do a little goodness. Yeah. It's not only that you recovered, it's how you recovered, right? And it's, again, you have trust to build with with your customers and with your boss and you're kind of in the middle because it was somebody on your team. So ultimately <sighs> it's the culpability is with you and, oh yeah. But you know, that's a learning moment. I bet that never happened again. No, we have hard measures in place. And it's so funny because the girls on my team will be like, Hey, Stace, I checked the spool. Here it is. I, I checked it with two other people, but here it is again. I'm like, all right, we're checking the spool out of sheer paranoia. <laughs> yeah, we, we end up adopting these little pet peeves because we're so we're paranoid so- that it's going to happen again. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, we do. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> and they're like, I have no idea why Stacey's doing this. She's crazy. So. Yeah, what is her fixation with the spool, the spool numbers? She really likes the spool numbers. <laughs> Stacey needs a cocktail and it's one o'clock because she's stressing over the school. I know. Oh, 
so the other one, Stacey, that we talked about, which I love because you, and you referred to it even earlier, is this idea of all the different definitions of ABM. And so you had mentioned to us that there was this false perception, maybe, that we could get an ABM strategy done in three months. And Carrie and I chuckled a little at it because we get a lot of clients coming to us, I want to create an ABM strategy. Can you have it done tomorrow? And we just, it's so much work. And there's also such a range of what that even means. Often people more just want targeted marketing. Not even, They don't even have those de- those two defined. So I'd love for you to tell us the story because I think this is so relevant. Everybody's in ABM right now or trying That's to be. That's right. And, and it is truly in the definition, right? So for us, account-based marketing is not one-to-one. It's one-to-few. And that's really where we have landed. And selecting that few is actually the hardest part right? It's all of the stuff that goes behind what that few looks like. Is it a vertical? Is it in pipeline? Is it new logo? Is it penetration, expansion? Like it could be a million of different things. And so selecting those few that you can then scale upon somehow and leverage stuff that you've created for one account and hopefully leverage it somewhere else because you've got to scale a little bit. And I think that's what it, what's so tricky about account-based marketing is everyone assumes that every single account gets a very finite treatment. And then one-to-one, it is that way. But when you go to one-to-few, you've got to find a few commonalities to at least get off the ground. And I will say the account knowledge, to have someone in an account-based marketing role, they have to have a love affair with account knowledge. They have to want to dig into Salesforce and Marketo or whatever your CRM is and really understand that account so they can be somewhat prescriptive to sales as well. Because what I think happens is sales is like, yes, this is the right approach. You have sold me on ABM. That's what we need to do. And then they're like, I don't know what to do from here, right? Like, how do we go forward? And we felt the same way too, right? So I think account-based marketing, we went out to tackle it, going into all kinds of thought leadership and establishing what a framework looked like for us. And we used the team's approach, which is where we all kind of landed. It's an industry standard and it works well for us, but it also has to be tailored for your organization. And that's where we missed that big, like three or four months chunk of time which was what does a team approach look like at bottom line? Because without that structure, I can't go do what I need to do. So that's where we missed was in the prep work of definition. And once we got through that now, and we've got account selection took us, I would say three months too, right? And so now we're in a place, okay, we understand the accounts, we understand the framework, We can align all of our extended teams, whether it be operations and sales and marketing and leadership and all of them on a path. That was nine months worth of work. We set out to do this. Do you hear that, everybody? Nine months. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I would say nine months was booking it, too. Like, yeah, dedicated. Yeah, well, resource. you guys are like, I mean, I know when you guys are on a project, you guys are all in. So, oh my gosh. And once we finally rolled out the framework to our extended team and we started executing, now we're starting to learn so much of where we're short, 
right? Even in our own strategy, we're like, man, we shortchanged us on the digital side where we could have this always on data acquisition strategy that feeds into these wonderful direct mails. Like we've learned so much that even the structure that we put in place is growing and maturing. And so I don't think it ever ends. Yeah, I think it's ongoing. Yeah. Did you have to do change management in that Ugh. process? And, and, and you know, how were you able to, to <laughs> Hold on. manage I'm gonna it? Need, I'm going to need a drink for that one. Hang on. <laughs> what oh do the bottle, Stacey? It's, oh it's early in the day. Come on. We <laughs> have it's it in the day. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So So it's drinking time somewhere. (laughs) That's right. I would say the hardest part about all of this was how we're going to measure success. Not only measure it, but stinking report on it. And I think maybe that's a challenge for a lot of companies is that we've been doing traditional demand gen where we've got programs running into a qualification engine and we spit out MQLs. And man, a lot of us have that humming. It's a beautiful piece of art and it just runs in the background. Now you're measuring opens, click-throughs, MQLs, pipeline progression, pipeline contribution, those kind of things. Okay. Enter ABM where you're now saying this one person from this one buy spy center engaged with a piece of content on our website, what do we do with that? And actually being able to track and measure that, it just completely puts your demand gen reporting structure on its head. So that has been the biggest change for us in what we needed to align all of our teams in this new methodology of reporting, which is every single lead has to be mapped through a journey, which traditional demand gen, we've had the luxury of high volume with a recurring system and routine and process in place. And now we've got to be tracking one lead and where it goes and why. Yes. <laughs> we can a look back on that time fondly. <laughs> we always, you know, we've always said no lead left behind in demand gen, but yep. I swear no lead left behind in ABM is like your mantra. That's it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Carrie says that all the time too. And I always think I have boys, but yet I make them watch trolls and there's a line in there where they're like, no troll left behind. Right. And I always think of that chanting, no lead left behind. That's right. It's the truth. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I will say, I was going to add one point there because so often I think just of marketing and Dana, you said it earlier, like there's that marketing and sales relationship and partnership. and, And I tend to go on a tangent just as it relates to marketing. But I would say one of the other biggest changes when it comes to ABM is engaging with the sales team and what that looks like and that partnership, right? We're not passing MQLs that they can get excited about and we can as well. Now we're asking them, you have a connection with the C-suite and the organization. What's your barrier to progression? And they're like, we just had this happen a couple months ago. The C-suite was like, listen, I'm all on board, but I can't get all of the stakeholders in the same room to make a decision. We're in analysis paralysis. And so our ABM gal said, what if we just brought them all together in a listen and learn? And we're going to help you navigate through. And even if you decide we're not the right solution, fine. At least you've made progress. And so we're here to help you in that progress. And so that's what we did. We did a whole like we're here to listen 
executive roundtable for this bank where we brought in our leadership and we sent them all headphones and said, "Here, we're here to listen, we're here to learn. And we got them in this roundtable. And you know what? They haven't closed yet, but it did actually progress the deal because the C-suite was able to get every all of the stakeholders together and say, okay, we have a third party audience to help us. We got to do this now. And, you know, that was a huge win in our relationship with the sales team because we were like, guys, we're in this with you and we're dying to see this close too. So let us get in on it. And it worked. I love that. That's a great way to wrap up that question. Fantastic. Happy ending. Let's call it that. (laughs) That's right. Um, (laughs) Or not. Or not. It's never ending, I guess, is the point, right? <laughs> so, so we kind of saved the best oh, sh- the be. fan moment for yeah. last. Um, <laughs> You're really sweating you now. I'm uh, yeah, already sweating. We all kind of... <laughs> So what you had stated to Dana and I was that you were in a meeting with with leadership and curious, you know, if you can kind of set the stage of what that meeting looked like. But you were asked as a demand gen leader what you would do in a specific scenario related to demand gen and you froze, which I totally get it. And so let's, <laughs> yeah. let's dig into that a little bit. You know, what was going on there that caused you a very talented, brilliant woman to be in a scenario where you couldn't communicate effectively? Yeah, this one literally makes me like start to sweat. It makes me really nervous. It was when I first started here at Bottom Line and we had a Thursday morning executive leadership call for the line of business that I'm in. And I would be up on Wednesday nights, like all night, like going through in my, in my mind, the questions that I might be asked and like how I would respond. And just like that overwhelming, I have to be prepared to be smart. Right. So we would get on those Thursday calls and I would just pray, don't ask me anything. Just let me be a silent (laughs) participant. I would give anything to be a silent participant. So there was one morning where we have a brilliant sales leader, but he wasn't necessarily an advocate of marketing yet. We've won him over, but at the moment he wasn't. And he said, is there anything that Demand Gen can do for us to help progress pipeline or net new logo pipeline? Our CMO was in the room. I'm on the phone. And she rightly so gave me the opportunity to answer. I'm the Demand Gen gal, right? And I my mouth wouldn't move. I just sat there and let the silence eek over the room, like, oh my gosh. And then it was that awkward, like, okay, then, well, we'll go ahead and move on, right? Like the awkward acknowledgement of the fact that I had completely just failed. So that was my meeting. Now, I will say, When we hung up the phone, I was in tears just because I knew, I knew what I had just done, right? And I think I was most upset because I felt like I had let our, my leadership, my marketing leadership down in that they had earned our right at the table, right? And I think for marketers, that's so hard sometimes is for marketing to have that executive leadership seat at the table where they are a piece of the decision-making puzzle. And Christine had earned our right at that table. She brought me in with trust that I was going to help us lead. And I sat in silence and she, she called me. And what I would say is, because one of the questions you asked is what would I advice would I give to a younger generation? I knew I wasn't ready to be in that meeting. I knew it in my heart. I knew it in my gut. I wasn't ready. 
And what I should have done was gone to Christine and said, listen, I'm not ready for this. I know you hired me to do it and I should be, but I'm not. So mentor me through this for the next couple of months. Teach me how to do it and then we'll transition it. Because I would have much rather had that super awkward, I'm not ready conversation than the one that I had when I let everyone down, which was even worse, right? So I think if I could go back, if I could just speak up when you're not ready and you're not confident, it's far better to say that than to do what I did, which was terrible. (laughs) Well, you were prepared for them. You were prepared, (laughs) right? I mean, but you prepared the night before you were, you probably had the answers, right? So it was just, was it a confidence thing? Was it, you know, imposter syndrome? What was it? It's a confidence thing. I think so often we were in the C-suite, we're in the C-suite, right? Which for whatever reason, when you're up and coming in your career, that's very intimidating. But at the end of the day, as a marketer and an expert in your space, you know more than you think that you do, right? So I could have said anything there. I could have said, hey, that's a really interesting concept. I haven't thought through it yet. Let's take it offline and just have a discussion, right? I could have said that. I could have said, guys, we have lots of leads coming in from these programs. Let's meet and talk about how we can qualify them. Or I could have said, guys, this doesn't make sense right now. There were a laundry list of things that I knew were the right points, but I was too intimidated by being in the C-suite, right? Which is silly, but I think a lot of us are faced with that. Yeah, it's great insight. Really great insight. Stacy, do you think it does at any point, just given that we're all women in the room too, and let's be real, being women in careers and moving up and being put in a room with C-suite, I mean, the, the thought of her crush your mind too, that it looks even worse because now I, I didn't say anything and I'm a woman and they're probably thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. Or did that not, not cross your mind? It re- That really never crossed my mind. I didn't think of that. It's more just like a self-loathing and emotional cutting situation. <laughs> it was anything else. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. Carrie and I talk to the team. We have a lot of young people on the team and we're often talking to that, that we find they often feel this need to have the answer. And so often they're saying something that maybe isn't accurate or similar to you. They freeze up and they don't really know what to say versus just coming up with the answer that it's okay to say, I need to get back to you on that, right? It's because I don't have the full answer to that yet. I get it. I might have it in my head, like you're saying, but I, on the spot at this moment, and with the pressure I'm feeling to deliver what you're asking for, I can't do it. And so we talk a lot about just, it's okay to say, let me get back to you on that, right? I'll, I'll get it to you. You know, I need, we need space to think and come to it or gather the info, so. And I have younger team members on my team. And, and when they say that to me, I actually feel really connected and that they've actually heard what we're up against, right? I've heard the challenge. I've acknowledged it. I don't have the answer, but I want to help figure it out. And I think that's so amazing. I yeah. think that's great growth. Right. It actually is, Is I mean, it just makes you 
the awareness, I think, that they understand what you said and they're able to communicate it and to be really honest and transparent about it, right? And I think that's the, Karen and I talk a lot about authentic marketing, but it's really about how we live our lives and authentic leadership and just how we show up every day. And, and that honesty is really what it comes down to. It's like, I don't expect you to have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But the idea that you're going to go work towards it and you can tell us that, to me, that's huge. So yeah, totally agree. Yes. So I think that's that's it on our stories, right? So Stacey, what are you working on right now? You have anything exciting in the pipeline? We know you have this nine-month ABM strategy you pulled together. <laughs> um, <laughs> What, what do you, you have? Know, what do you have on the horizon? <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things that we're nerding out over here. I'm a data gal. That's my jam. Just give me ten thousand rows of data as it relates to some kind of marketing activity, and I'm just happy as a lark. And we've grown substantially as a marketing team here at Bottom Line, and our operations team has just really exploded. And it has. This team is just amazing and they are providing us data that we've never had before. And actually they're pushing us to, to say, okay, but what about measuring this? And I'm like, I didn't even know we could. That's amazing. Let's totally measure that. So I think not only do we have the account-based marketing stuff happening where we've got to really get finite with engagements, we now have a new set of data and visualization that we can now bring these stories together. And so I have this, you know, some named account lists where I'm really targeted with, and now I have data where I can see where they're interacting and when and where and why, and I can apply it. And I know so much more about these institutions that I've ever known before. And we're putting programs behind all of that. And it's so exciting to really, I don't want to say move from, because that's not the right word, but you know, we've been in traditional lead to MQL to pipeline direct contribution for so long. And now we've got this beautiful engine of customer journeys and interactions and what everything they're doing in the in the network and learning and watching and then optimizing and developing new programs against that data set. So, I mean, I could go on about this forever because I just love watching the numbers. So I think some tr some transformation, I guess, is the point there, and our data visualization is is really exciting. The account based marketing and partnering with our sales team to really expand our customer base and relationships is super exciting. We've never dabbled there, so learning our more about our customers and what our sales team is attempting and trying to do and how they're navigating each institution has been really exciting. And our team is growing too. We've made such an impact here at Bottom Line with our marketing and our revenue marketing engine that we continue to grow. And so we've got this new class of comer-uppers that have amazing thoughts on technology and where we can innovate. And our tech stack has really expanded, which is super exciting. So we're in this amazing transformation period that we've got our hands in and it's exciting stuff. Love it. All right. So then our favorite question to ask, which you alluded to is, so if you could give yourself some advice, your 20 year old self, some advice based on what you've learned, what would that be? Carbs are the enemy. So let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> don't, let sure anyone, don't let anyone. Don't let anyone. But they you. taste so good. <laughs> 
And there's no such thing as drinking your calories either. They're they're calories. No, okay. that doesn't work either. <laughs> More fun, but yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, I really, really loved thinking about this question. I thought it was, it was so interesting, but I would say, I wish I could go back and find a mentor anywhere, either in a company that I really admired or a leader that I really admired and just reached out to them and said, Hey, I'm really interested in what you have to say. I would love for you to be my mentor. And I can't imagine that any leader that was really looking to be supportive of their position in the, in the space would say no to that. Right. Like, of course, no, not at all. Right. Yeah. And I wish well, I could you would do it now, Stacey. Right? I mean, if someone came to you, yeah. A hundred percent. So I, I think that would be something really interesting because it makes me think of ways to put yourself out there to find the role and the job that is right for you. And I think, had I gone out and said, listen, I really think that your perspective is innovative. I just want to be a part of it. You can just imagine how that explodes your network and your ability to learn and you're just your fingers and all sorts of things. So I would just encourage a younger generation to find somebody that you really respect and want to follow and reach out to them and just say, hey, you up for a relationship? I'd love for you to mentor. I don't know. That's that's my favorite thought. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important too. Yeah. And I I would say too, learn the art of saying no. We can say no gracefully. And I think the younger generation, and I'm sorry to keep referring to them that because I'm the older generation. So that's just how it's going to go. But, and it can be done gracefully. And actually when you say no for a reason that is educated and rooted in the right decision for the business, it's so much more powerful. There are a lot of books and a lot of thought leaders out there on how to say no, go dive in and learn that skill because it'll take you places. Well, and because when you say no, that gives you the space to focus on the things that you want to say yes to, right? And if you fill your plate with a bunch of things that are not helping to move the cheese in whatever direction that you want to um, to move the cheese, there's no time for the important things. So I, I think that is really good advice. Well, and it transcends just our work lives. It's no in every aspect, right? Because it comes down to boundaries. And I think so often as young folks, like I think about where I'm at now and how long it took me to set boundaries and to say no. And so you're right, Stacey, if we could learn that so many years earlier, I think if, I maybe wouldn't have been so burnt out at times, right? If you look back and think about those times we just burned ourselves out to get where we are, to think it was going to get, that was the reason I was going to excel or advance my career was just because, yeah, I'll take it all on. I'll just keep piling and just working. So, And it powers us to under-promise and over-deliver because so awesome, we over-promise and then dang it, we have to go back and claw our way. To your point, Dana, we have to claw our way out and it's 70 hours a week and before you know it, you're just so over it, which if you would have said no for the right reasons, we now have the opportunity to overperform, and that's that's where we all want to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, Stacey, thank you so much. This has been so great to have you here today. You're always so fun to have. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you guys for having me. This was this was so fun. And 
I hope I didn't ramble too much. I get going on this stuff. And we even say the word data. That's it. I'm off on a tangent. So (laughs) (laughs) thanks for letting me roll on that one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And that's as real as it's getting with this episode. Thanks for joining hosts Dana Harder and Carrie Baldwin with Unreal Digital Group. In this podcast, Marketing Gets Real, where we get rid of the filters and chat with B2B marketers about real life stories of successes, failures, and everyday adventures. If you're loving these oh shit, tell it how it is type of conversations, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.